Incomparable shirts are on sale and only for a very limited time through November 30th of 2020. Go to theincomparable.com slash shirt today. And if you're a member, please check your email because we sent you information and a link to a special members-only shirt as well. And if you're not a member, it's okay. You can still choose from the robot, the Zeppelin, and the new uh, Photoro shirt, which has never been available for non-members before. Check it out, theincomparable.com slash shirt. The Incomparable. Number 542. November 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And this episode is all about a recently completed HBO series, Lovecraft Country, based on the novel by Matt Ruff, uh, executive produced by Misha Green. It is uh, 10 episodes. Very interesting series. Uh, Horror, social commentary, just rivers of blood and gore. Lots of things going on in Lovecraft Country. And here to talk about them all with me are four wonderful people. Cicero Holmes is here. Cicero, hello. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, hey. I, um, I'm traveling down the river of blood. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a, kind of a torrent right now in right. Lovecraft Country. Uh, Dan Morin is here. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. The elevator in my house goes, you don't even want to No, I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Kelly Gamont is here. She drove all the way to Boston and then uh, left the car behind. Hi, Kelly. Well, I got confused because there was all this artwork on the map. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. I, I, you know, just as an aside, there is that moment where they travel all the way to Boston and then they go through like magic portals and end up back in Chicago. And I'm like, but the car, the car, (laughs) the car is important. I did wonder about the car. And uh, you might you might think that he looks like a, a creepy uh, sort of uh, albino white dude, but uh, underneath all the gouts of blood, it's revealed it's Moises Julian. Ah! Oh, you know me, Jason. I'm a shogoth in the streets, and I transmog in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I, I, this show is fascinating. It is it is wacky. It is it's way, everything. It's it is, everything. It is way more all the bl- way more blood and horror than I usually am in for, but. Uh, if you, uh, what sold me on it is the idea um, that I think is like the elevator pitch of this, which is, um, imagine if it's it's the fifties, and it's all the horrors of racism in America, and all the horrors of H.P. Lovecraft style horrible monstrous horrors, and they and they happen together. And as as somebody who's favorite tv show of all time is buffy the vampire slayer i looked at that and i said oh yeah sign me up for that i like that i really like it when you miss when you mix actual like human horror with wild uh mythical horror i i I like that as an idea and so matt ruff wrote this I, i guess i should tell the backstory here matt ruff the author of this novel pitched this as a tv show and nobody wanted to buy it so he made it a novel which was very successful and then Misha Green adapted it into a TV show, and which then is like wanted to buy it. Good, good trick if you can. Like Misha Green, she looks at this and she's like, "Well, this is practically a TV show. Mm-hmm. It, it is." Right. And, and and she's like, "Off we go." This came to her by way of Jordan Peele. 
Right, who's an exec producer on the show, yeah. Yeah, so so Peel uh, had this, and he was in the process of making Get Out. Get Out was not out ah. yet. Uh, there's a recent interview on uh, Elvis Mitchell's The Treatment on KCRW, which is available as a podcast. Yeah, great podcast. Um, where Elvis talks to Misha Green about this. And she's like, oh, I met with Jordan, and everything was great. And then uh, he was like, hey, uh, do you want to come and watch an early, uh, an early cut of this movie I'm working on? She was like, oh, this meeting went so well. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. It's probably going to be comedy because that's what everybody knew Key and Peele for at the sure. time right. before Get Out had come out. And, oh, uh, yeah, sure. Okay. And then she saw it and it was everything Get Out is. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, okay, yes, I'm totally in. Yes, I want to make this TV show uh, with with you working on it. And J.J. Abrams' company is is the, the primary production company behind it. But they obviously just got out of the way and let Jordan Peele and Misha Green make a TV show. It, it's fascinating because it, it is one of the things about it. Based on a novel, you'd think like, oh, well, you know, it's the peak TV thing that we have now, which is like, well, I know it's a TV show, but it's really a 10-hour movie and and this isn't that like because the novel is itself episodic because it was sort of a tv pitch one of the brilliant things about lovecraft country and there are a lot of brilliant things about it because it is the social commentary i I think the the fact that it is a a i want to say majority black cast but it's really almost entirely black cast about racism in america and a lot of other things uh but it's episodic while carrying on a story arc and i love that about the last two or three episodes are much more the crescendo of like everything that's been building for the season but one of the things i really love about it is a lot of these episodes like i think to be a peak tv episodic tv show you really want to have uh the episode where this happens you want to feel like they're still episodes and not just this hazy giant 10 hour long movie and boy Mm -hmm. Lovecraft Country is absolutely that. Like, one of the things I love about this show is that from episode to episode, you have no idea what you're going to see. Like, I would watch these episodes and be like, okay. <laughs> and like, I love I yeah. that so much about it, that it is, it is so smart and weird and funny and gross and... And also, like, surprising, constantly surprising. It's a wild tonal changes from episode to episode, which can be jarring at times, but also just, you know, the amount of breadth that it, it, it sort of encompasses by letting you go down all these different stories and telling this thing that is loosely connected and obviously connected by our characters. But, you know, I, I think it is very distinct from a lot of stuff that we see on tv these days because of so much of it is is really concerned with making each episode sort of stand on its own uh for the large Mm -hmm. part and so yeah i i it was interesting because you never knew what week you're like you know every week what what am i getting into this week uh and even even at the beginning of an episode to an end of an episode sometimes you'd be like wow that really did not really see where that was going (laughs) took a took a turn there yeah we started with like uh, you know, like like a little bit of of the world building of sort of the present, right? Like where we are and what's happening with the characters that we have, and then every once in a while we veer off into this other like side quest. And the really impressive thing to me about it was how we sort of get these bottle episodes. And um, I'm not going to remember which number it was, but uh, the one where we find out the deal with Letty's house. 
Yes. Oh, yeah, want to yeah. say it's like the third or the fourth episode. The third episode. Episode yeah. three, one of the best episodes of the show. The Magic House. Yes. The Magic House is so like every. I love everything about that episode. I I really liked watching the whole show. Um, I think uh it like I think I was uncomfortable a lot, but I still really wanted to know what happened to everybody, and so like some of it was. In in all the different scenarios, there seemed to be a number of things that that I was sort of uncomfortable watching, um, and I feel sort of better about that. I think rather than just sort of watching all of it go by and kind of not caring. And it was it was that particular episode. The thing about it to me was the balance between uh, you don't have to know a bunch of the other stuff that happened before you watch this episode. Uh, so almost like a bottle episode f- of of television, but also the way that those still sort of advanced the story that we left behind to go do have this mm-hmm. story moment and then come back to. And sometimes it's really really hard for those to tie back, like the you know to tie it back into whatever the the overarching story is, like in the ten hour movie approach that Jason mentioned, like. Sometimes it's really ham-handed and you find, you know, that there's this very obvious we're going to hit you over the head with a hammer the whole hour for how this fits into the story we're telling you. And there's never a moment that I felt like Lovecraft Country ever did that. And that was another thing about it that I really liked was when we get these side quests and, oh, hi, we're in Korea now. And, oh, we're in this other place. And, And how those things fit into the story and how that was the moment that 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 data set was when we needed it you know we didn't need to really know anything more about what was going on in korea until we got it near the end and we didn't need to know more about these other things until they happened and that to me was the thing that they did that was just masterful because it was really because it did totally shift gears and even you know within an episode like that took a turn um And so, but but overall, like getting getting to advance the plot, but also having this sort of side quest at the same time, is a really really tough balancing act, and they managed to do a really good job of it. What I call this show is Lovecraft Country, the serialized anthologies. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it really um, feels like it. I mean, because you get like you get straight up like supernatural horror in the pilot mm-hmm. you get a uh the 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 episode that you're referencing uh Kelly is is like uh, you know America horror story season 1 you get the Indiana <laughs> Jones what? right yeah. you get the Indiana Jones yeah. episode the and the and the next episode um there's there are so many like uh the I think the penultimate episode where uh where uh, D is running away from uh, Bopsy and Topsy from uh, Uncle Uncle Tom's cabin. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. you know that was oh. like us from you know Jordan Peele's mm-hmm. us, super um, us. Yeah, yeah. there's the, I mean, the like, time the time travel time travel the episode. time travel time episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the episode right, I refer right. to is Doctor Who Black. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's so much, and and that damn car Woody was the TARDIS. I mean, they yeah, fit totally. everyone comfortably <laughs> in that damn. Oh yeah, there it's were much larger on the inside. <laughs> in every configuration, <laughs> too, like much larger. You know, what I really loved about this show was that, like, through through this anthologized version of you know being able to tell the same story through all of these different genres, what we were able to see was 
the creator's appreciation for all of the all of the like the influences mm-hmm. that inspired you know not you know obviously the lovecraft part is inspired by hp lovecraft but but everything else about the story is inspired by so much so much more um and and you know like that's uniquely american you know you're taken from all of these different things and you're creating one thing based off of whatever the base was yeah i was gonna i was gonna say it's almost like a a jazz style like like you take the bass and then you just keep riffing on it and and it's like riffing on genre norms of of various genres so you've got like the opening shot so lovecraft country it's sold to you i i think as like lovecraft it's in the name hp lovecraft and like isn't this very clever hp lovecraft who is a really horrible racist Racist. (laughs) and yet this is a show that is also about race in america and it's a majority black cast um but like the first shot of this is like aliens in yes. ray yes. and ray guns right. in Korea. Right. Yeah. Like, it, what is well, the show? Right. And it's yes. it it's sort of Korea, but it's also like trench warfare, World War One. Right. Like that even that's right. a mashup. Right. On Mars, right? Okay. Right. right. So maybe like a, almost Mars? like a John, John Carter, Carter yeah, angle right. happening. Yeah. yeah. Jamie Chung descending effectively as Deja Thoris. Uh, yeah. from from the from the Princess of Mars book that he's reading. Yeah. And the riffs yeah. just, I mean, and the riffs do keep on coming. Like every, I also had a moment in that first, in the pilot episode with all those creepy covered bridges. I'm like, don't go in the bridges in Madison oh, County. Don't do yeah, it, don't right, do it. Right. It's very bad. They'll kill you in the bridges in Madison County. But like, all of these, it's like the Magic House episode is like, it's its like fantasy mixed in with what's going on in the show. The Indiana Jones riff, it's like Last Crusade, kind of yes. like remixed into this whole yeah. adventure, cro- crossed with like the Pirates of the Caribbean or something, right. like that right. whole thing. Also, I, I hate to say it, Jason, but it has a strong dose of Supernatural in it. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it really does. Well, yeah, and, does. And, and the episode, the episode about Ruby taking the magic potion and becoming a white woman yeah, is like this bizarre, like it's, it's fantasy in a way, almost like it reminded me of like miracle on 34th street a little bit because it's like, Oh yeah, that's definitely how I remember that movie too. Hold on. (laughs) Wait, did I miss the first reel? The department store is the most amazing place in the world. The department store. We love the department store, but it's also like super a twilight zone episode, like so much a twilight zone episode at, at every point. And like the time travel episode is uh, is very Doctor Who. It is. It is also very, almost. Uh, uh, um, oh, what is it? It's, uh, it's one of the best episodes of Doctor Who that I've ever seen. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. And, and the and and the one where um, where Hippolyta is in um, in all the p- parallel universes, right? There's the Tulsa episode where they go back to Tulsa. Where, where they go back to Tulsa, that time travel episode. And then they, where the Guardians of the Galaxy episode <laughs> yes. is the one yeah. where, yeah. Yeah. where she, right. where she goes to, to dance with right. Josephine and Baker. It's, it's, way, it's amazing. If, if you're just tuning in and you haven't watched the show, you probably still have <laughs> yeah. no idea what it's about. <laughs> you, We have given literally nothing yeah, away. I, I, I don't know if this actually spoils anything. Right. <laughs> Time to take a break. Let me tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by ExpressVPN. In the real world, if you're looking for privacy, you close the door. But online, we leave doors open wherever we go. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like never closing the door behind you. Your internet service provider like Comcast or Verizon, they know every single website you visit. If they're 
paying attention because your traffic is going over their network. They can monitor you. And if they want to, they can even sell that information to ad companies and tech giants. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Your ISP can't tell what you're doing. Neither can anyone else. I have been using ExpressVPN for quite a while now, and it couldn't be easier one tap on my iPad, and my iPad is encrypted, and all of it tra- its traffic with it. Nobody can see what I'm doing. Nobody can track me. Uh, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. And ExpressVPN does work on everything, not just my iPad, your iPhone, a laptop, even routers in your house. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected, even if they don't have ExpressVPN themselves. And the best part, using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the door. Fire up the app. Like I said, t- click or tap one button. That's it. You're protected. Couldn't be simpler. ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and many others. And if, like me, you think your online activity is your business, secure yourself today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Snell. My last name, that's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Snell, and you can get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Snell. Thank you, ExpressVPN, for sponsoring The Incomparable. This is the thing why this show is so remarkable. When we talk about the execution of it, and there, I, there's some things to be critical of, but like it is a continuing, it is a modern show that's got a continuing story and a giant story arc for the season based on a novel, so you know it's going to have a beginning and an end. And yet, every episode feels so distinct in so many different ways, where they're riffing on on all of these sort of fantastic genre conventions, episode by episode, while also telling their story of uh you know of of the whole arc of the season it's very uh it's fun and and brilliant and you never know what you're going to see next and that that's one of the things that i really love the most about it is is how inventive it is like there are moments where you're like i don't even know what's happening now but right. i'm just gonna go with it <laughs> but and, here i am you know, yeah. yeah the 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 last like i guess technically spoiler free thing that i'll say to people to reassure them is yes there's a lot of violence yes there's a lot of tough stuff to get through but but at the end of the season and this actually doesn't spoil anything you get the wholesome feeling of of getting to see a girl get a new dog and there's nothing like that. <laughs> it's so, that's so true. That's so true. I, I think one thing also that I appreciated about it is as someone who also tends to not like horror and tends to be a little bit squeamish about things. First of all, I think a lot of the gore here is so over the top that right. it becomes yeah. it's, it's, like, it's almost it's it almost is. Monty Python esque, right? right? Like, right. It's, yeah. And, yeah. and so, and even the one I, you know, there is an argument like there are genuinely like atmospherically scary episodes. I think that the house episode probably right. being yes. near the top of that list, but even that yeah. one, I felt like going in and the way you go in and the way you come out are you, you take something so different away from that at the end yeah. of the episode it's not at mm-hmm. all what you you feel like going in like oh it's going to be this scary horror thing about oh, a haunted bad. house or whatever and then it's like oh it was not i mean it yes it kind of was that but it also was something <laughs> very different from that yeah. uh and i really appreciated that like i felt like as someone who doesn't necessarily have the highest tolerance for horror I never never got to the point where I was like, oh, I can't watch this, right? Like, I'm always still, I was engaged and hooked enough that I was yeah. always coming back for the next episode, even if, the, like, the, the preview made it look like, eh, is this going to be too scary for me? Dan, you, you and I share share a, share a brain or... Uh, <laughs> right? Twinsies. Or, uh, right, or a level of cowardice. Um, yeah, I... So Wait, I, watched I don't remember that episode. Which episode right. was that? Yeah, which, one, which one of you is Bopsy? Brain sharing. Topsy. Topsy, right. Um, so... 
I watched that episode one and a half times. So I watched it about halfway through and then it was too creepy for me, but I couldn't stop watching. So I just muted it. Mm. Um, A silent film with subtitles. Right, right. It was it was a silent film, and I yes, and I uh, I riff tracks what was going on (laughs) as I was as I was watching it, and then like like you said, Dan. By the time you get to the 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 climax of you know the third act of that episode, I was cheering. Yeah, exactly. And and then I went back and watched the section that I had muted. Um, and, and watched, you know, and, and was allowed myself to be creeped out a little bit because I knew the payoff. It was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Some people cover their eyes. Cicero records a commentary track. Right. (laughs) You know, my, my son always used to do that where, uh, whenever anything got tense in a movie and I think he still does it sometimes he put, he put his hand, hands over his ears. He's just like, because the music, he's like, the music, it's freaking me out. Oh, the music is telling me. Too much. Yeah. One of the things that this show does that that things, it bothers me because I have the beginning of tinnitus is when the sound cue is used of the of the ringing in the ears sound. And I always have to go, am I hearing this in the show or is this actually something that I'm hearing? While we're on the audio, I want to mention one of the things that I like about this show uh, as a creative decision is its use of music because oh, yes. it uses a yes. lot of really great period That's music right. and contemporary anachronistic contemporary. music. I yeah, love like, that. Which is one of the things I, I really love about it is that you, you get a 50s vibe and there, there are 50s music playing and uh, people are singing along and dancing along to 50s music. But for the soundtrack of the show, they also will use modern Mm -hmm. music and it's a very specific creative decision and i like it because it's like the show says is say the show is saying come on it's 2020 right like it's not there in 20 in 1950 we're not and i i i like that because it's like a level of of it's like a reminder that that what that it's a show (laughs) and and the show the show multiple characters travel to multiple future eras it's true right uh where you know we go to the year three billion or whatever it Mm -hmm. is uh, on earth 504 yeah and we also go to enough of the future for uh for tick to come back with a copy of the novel that his son who is then an adult has written about all of this right. stuff called Lovecraft Country called with Lovecraft the logo Country. in the font. The, yeah, in the yeah. font. Right. And that that I loved. When, when that when when the Cardi B song hit, I oh. I just I just lost it's so it. So great, I, right? I was so happy, it's, and it was perfectly perfection. placed too. And then every every episode except for I think the last two, we've got Sinner Man over the credits, and I love good solid credits vibe oh, I love that music. Song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all of it mixes together so beautifully. Well, and right. it's the awareness of it being, like you said, the awareness of it being a show, the meta yeah. commentary, that and the book yeah. together kind of provide that angle of yeah. like, we, we know we're staging something for you here. We know, we're, we know we're, you're tell, we're telling you a story. This show is not just, uh, I mean, it, it, it does not have the black experience as an element of the show. This show is about the diaspora of the black experience, not just through time travel. We don't just, you know, go back to 1921 in Tulsa. We don't just see the elements of the Jim Crow South in the, the quote unquote present day of this multiversal story. This, this thing is about all of these different threads. And, and that's why when, when people were initially, um, you know, I, I would see really dumb complaints about various things, but most specifically the music, that was the dumbest complaint in the right. world to me yeah. because the, the music, the music is 
absolutely essential to the broader story that this show is telling than the boundaries of the book could do. And I, I have not read the book, but what I did with the magicians, I also did here where I watched the first season and then I read all the spoilers, of the book. And I think the diversions they took from the text that make it so that this can be an ongoing show and have more of a, a show to tell. Um, I, I think it's, I think it is, it is brilliant structurally. I think the thing, the, the elements that were, added element Emmett Till was not uh, a part of the book. Uh, Tulsa 1921 added from uh, not, not in the book as I understand it. Um, I think both of those things are completely essential. Um, and the, the addition of Tulsa, uh, you know, people have drawn some comparisons to Watchmen where they're like, oh, well, they kind of bit what Watchmen did. And I was like, well, Watchmen kind of bit the black experience. Right. To be Watchmen fair. bit history. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah. it's a nice compliment, though. I think, I think, you yeah. know, those both being on HBO, it kind of interweaves them in a way. Yeah, and I actually sure. think it's really complimentary. They are shows on par with one another. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then some. And it's not just because of, you know, some of the, the subject matter. But what I love about both shows is that neither one of them is afraid to just go totally wild. Um, and among my favorite things about Lovecraft Country is that it is a it is a show that has pulp themes and pulp action and uh, theatrical serial stuff woven into the pop culture um, that the characters and obviously the author loves. Yeah. Um, and it leans as hard into that tone at different points, like every episode lets us be kind of like normal, <laughs> normal HBO drama um, in terms of acting style. And it, it eases us into, and eventually at some point we always get into heightened pulp adventure um, where, where what is being said is absolutely ridiculous and said totally with a straight face. And it works. It completely works across the board. Um, and that's, that, that's one of the things that I love so much is that the show is not afraid to just throw everything in the pot and i think what i liked about that was that there was uh they had like they had enough faith in me as an audience member like if we drop a cardi b song in the middle of this obviously 1950s up you know moment like you're gonna be good with that and you know we can veer off and have the indiana jones episode and you're gonna be cool with that and we can do the haunted house and you know and i know that we can take you with us on this ride and there's sometimes, you know, I know peak TV, but like a lot of times shows don't have that kind of faith in the audience. And that was one of the things I really liked about watching this was like, I trust them to take me on some sort of bonkers ride for the next hour. And they have enough faith that I'm going to keep up. And so it was really like, it, I was always super interested in what was going to happen. Um, I didn't have a, I didn't have like a, this might be too scary moment, but I did have some like, I'm not sure this is going to be the kind of stuff I like to watch as a general rule. So, um, and I it, like, and, and some of it, like when we get to some blood, like, yeah, I'm not sure. And then it just doesn't stop. And, you know, like, yeah, every episode has that moment. That's the hallway in the shining and like, okay, if we're going to go that far with it, then okay. Then yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like a Kurosawa film. Like, you know, like, you know someone's head gets chopped off and it's just the the jet. Everywhere, <laughs> right? yeah. It's um, just a flesh wound. Right. But yeah, but yeah, Kelly, Kelly, you're you're completely right about like uh, them having faith in, in the audience. But, uh, you know, what I will say is that, uh, you know, the second episode is called Whitey's on the Moon. Yeah. So if you're, if, if you're not bought in, 
by the title. Like, if, <laughs> right, if the Cardi B song is the thing that's going to throw you off, then, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't yeah. know if you're going to survive Gil Scott here. <laughs> Maybe this isn't for you. It's funny you mention that because that, that's a, one of the other things that keeps coming back in this show is the spoken word stuff. There's, there's, it's, mm-hmm. a lot of it is like spoken words, like poetry set to a, a beat or set to, to music, but we repeatedly, you get those moments. And the first one is in the Whitey's on the Moon episode in episode right. two, but it goes, it goes mm-hmm. throughout. And that's another decision where they're basically taking poetry uh, and, and they're using the music to also mm-hmm. um, put inject some uh, some poetry and some some thoughts and some words into what's going on on the screen. And, and I, they don't do it a lot, but they do it more than most shows do. And I appreciated that. Which is it. any. Yeah. The, the, the tactical <laughs> nuclear weapons that are those bits of poetry by Sun Ra and Sonia Sanchez. Um, the spoken word bit by that was James Baldwin, right? I didn't hallucinate. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, James Baldwin in the beginning. Um, They they are very specifically deployed in exactly the right tonal moments, just like music cues. (laughs) Being being, I mean, they are music cues. They are not just music cues, right? Yeah, they they are a different kind of music cue than we are used to Mm -hmm. because there is such uh, music and vibrancy in black art. Uh, and one of the things that I love most about the companion podcast, love Lovecraft country radio, uh, of which, uh, one of the co-hosts is, uh, one of the writers on the show and also oh, okay. a massive Buffy fan. What a shock. I'm sure Yay. Jason, <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things that they note is, is they're like, look, this isn't just cause we're, you know, we're black people, but, um, you know, I don't know that in, in American life th- that, um, that any people other than black people are the most artistic and the most, um, the most improvisational of making the most with having the least, um, whether it is privilege, whether it is actual, you know, physical resources, any of that kind of stuff. And just adding that additional texture, it's not just music. It is not just amazing actors. It's not just characters that are introduced like Hippolyta at the beginning. You're like, Oh, okay, well she seems nice enough. We're not going to see much of her. Oh boy. Do we, do we see a lot of her? Mm -hmm. And is she, you know, when, when she full on gets the blue hair and becomes the superhero from the comic book, Oh man, um, boy is, that proven wrong loads of assumptions that people have built in based on what we are used to seeing in screen media yes black panther exists yes loads of other really wonderful examples of screen media featuring made by and performed by black people are out there now but to see all of this stuff intersecting with this kind of richness is is a whole other thing altogether i mean it took watching the fresh prince reunion on hbo max the other day for me to realize Oh wait, the head writer and the writers room for that was completely white. Mm-hmm. And I the things that I take for granted now about what things were like 20 years ago. Right. Um like this this show is is the is is the the pushback on decades and centuries of uh of oppression and suppression of so many beautiful works of art that we get swatches of. And this is the greatest hits of all of it on top of all of the groundwork, which is, uh, you know, all of the, the generational oppression, generational hate, uh, which reminds me of one of my favorite lines where, um, where, uh, where what's her name? White girl says, this isn't generational hate. Just like people say, this isn't racism. Um, Right. Those, like, could those could those that that family be whiter? Like they're like they're, right. they're, they're, their their hair right. is that was like completely white and they're super grade. pale. Like oh my god, yeah. I mean <laughs> oh my god. 
and not to get too much into into spoiler territory. I don't know for what we're doing. I don't know. That, we're like, we're yeah, gonna yeah, we're gonna spoil some yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're kind of all over the place. Right, right. Just watch the show, folks. Watch the show. <laughs> there is a moment of you know like those those characters who are so white, both her and uh, William. Uh, yes, and her you know, brother. to the point of her, yeah, well, slash yeah, puppet, right? <laughs> slash yeah. meat puppet. I, 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 I know, I know, it's really I know, unclear. Right. I know Mask, every every single black character who who has more than two lines in the show. I know every single black character's name. I can't remember her name for the life of me. Christina? I want to say it's like Brittany. Christina, 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 Christina Braithwaite. Yeah, Braithwaite. Christina Braithwaite, the weapons grade white lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, she's the Khaleesi. Khaleesi right. of the first <laughs> place. <laughs> Nazi Khaleesi. Um, what's what's really unique um, about this show, and and you know, and it took watching it in its entirety for me to really kind of get a grasp of it, is that I could have created this show, right? Like, this is one of the first shows, and maybe really honestly, the first show, even above and beyond Watchmen, which I thought was was unapologetically black and and I really really love that about it. But um this show was about a a person whose name was Atticus mm-hmm. because his family, like my family, like many black families of that time of the 20s and 30s, named their children Greco-Roman names so that their children would have a chance to survive in white America with a name that didn't automatically betray their skin tone. Um, the reason I am Cicero the third is because my grandfather was that person. Um, and uh, as I sit here and I watch um, George, George was probably born in 1956, the same year my mother was born. Um and she, along with my father, um, showed me love of all sorts of great pulp like Raiders and Star Wars and Star Trek and comic books and all of the things that that we as nerds love and embrace. And all of those things came together as well as not pulling any punches about what it means and what it feels like and how you have to prepare yourself on a daily basis to deal with systemic oppression, not only when you're faced with it, but like mentally preparing yourself and your children and understanding the, 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 even like in, in, I think the episode where they go back to Tulsa and Montrose it, we're looking at young Montrose getting whipped by his dad, oh, um, where his dad his dad oh. goes out and gets a switch. Um, you know, tells him to go out. He doesn't go out and get a switch. He tells him to pick up the pick the yeah. switch. And and mm-hmm. and we hear we hear his his dad say the same things to Montrose that Montrose winds up saying to Tick uh, as as an adult as a father himself. Um, but to think about you know as a as a person of color as a as a descendant of slaves understanding a conversation that I, we've had like in within our fa- own families that imagery of you having to grab the weapon and and give to your oppressor the weapon with which they will oppress you 
Um, and, and knowing that, and from the parental side, the parent is doing that so that the kid has some act right in his brain so that when he goes out there amongst the folks, they don't, he doesn't misbehave Uh, because he, he won't mm. come back from that. So like all of those things were there and, and those are things that inherently black folks in America know. And to see that on screen and to see that imagery there and know that it was intentional was a beautiful thing. And I really, really love the fact that it was there. Like, if I was given free reign to create a show, I would do something like this. Like, it is amazing. I was going to say about Tick, and we haven't talked about the actors yet, and I do want to do that. And Jonathan Majors, who I I don't think I've seen in anything— and there were several oh. moments in this in the show where I was like, "He is so good! Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's so having a, he's having good. like a year. He's having a great year. He's yeah. having a great year. He, he was, was in the Five Bloods, right? The Five yeah. Bloods, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco he's was that so good. Yeah. But but one of the things I love about Tick's character, and I think this goes to the whole show being also about it's about uh, the black experience in America. It's also about like pulp fiction." And right, and right. and all these genres that we love on podcasts like this is that Tick, although he's you know he's got leading man looks, but in we see especially in the Korea episode, like he's a nerd, right. he's a nerd, a nerd too, nerd. Right. Yeah. and and I love that mixture because that's the show too. Tick is sort of representing the show in in all of the aspects of it, and and it's one of the things that I really love about about Tick is that he's our leading man, but he's not entirely conventional. As a leading man, he's uh he's got he's got his nerdy uh, parts too, and a lot of the characters, right? We've got we've got is it is it Diana who's who's uh, doing the the Drawing. the comic book or something? Yeah, like, there's she a draws lot of that going on, right? So yeah. I love that. Tick is a character, also uh, a a not conventional character in that, like we deal with some of a lot of his flaws right. and a lot of his darker aspects right. too. I mean, like you mentioned yeah. the Korea episode, and that's right. one part that he's really the villain comes in out that there. episode. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I was going to say, and, how about that in the Korea episode, which I love, and I think it's an amazing episode, and and he he kind of commits some war crimes. Yeah, no, he, he does. Right? He does yeah, kind of. Right. He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and that between that and like also I think the struggle of him to accept who Montrose is right. is, oh, is man. really at the heart of like especially the back half of the season <sighs> right. and and getting oh, the man. time travel episode and fi- and seeing Montrose's youth and realizing how that has has impacted the oh, way God. that he raised his own son not just from that you know the the aspects that Cicero was just talking about but also just in his own personality and like who he is as a a person and like his being scared to show his identity or fearful of that like that that just it resonates so deeply in terms of Montrose as a character and kind of informs everything about him well and then watching him get treated badly by tech you know at the same like are you you, you know when 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 they have that moment of 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 tick just sort of hating him for that and and you know and like there's a whole lot of stuff you know that comes with it but that moment was just heartbreaking to watch and it was it was the same sort of thing you know Jason you were talking about really good performances it was it was one of those moments where um I felt uncomfortable because I felt like I was eavesdropping on something that was a private conversation that I should not be, <laughs> oh, you know, part for, of. For you know, sh- for a show that is so unique and has so much imagery of like again exploding rivers of blood and all sorts of things, I am 
the, the thing that's going to stick with me from all 10 of these episodes is that scene where they're watching young Montrose and his his boyfriend mm. basically as they are and and they know that they're about to be attacked and that he's going his friend's going to be killed and it's going yeah. to scar Montrose for the rest Forever. of his life right. and they're watching and it is Michael K Williams I mean I already right. love Michael K. Williams because, Start because there. Omar right. coming, right? Omar. Like, I mean, yeah. if, if, if you haven't if you haven't seen The Wire, uh, I don't think we're very good at selling the, you about the guy. Anything. The guy is amazing, and he's amazing in this too. But in that moment, what's what he's feeling, and that he's reliving his past, and it's the single most traumatic. I mean, this is what's great about time travel kind of stories: is you end up with things like this, where he's watching the most traumatic moment of his life, and yet. It, it would come across as being entirely tragic, except also embedded in there is the fact that, well, you know, this mysterious stranger came out of nowhere and he saved our lives. And that moment where it turns around and he realizes his son is the mysterious stranger who saved his life. It is one of the best time travel kind of like emotional Absolutely. time travel twist things I have ever seen and having Michael K. Williams be at the center of it and Jonathan Majors there too it is mm-hmm. that is the thing of all the scenes in this entire show that scene will stay with me forever the the two things about it for me that um, one is the the thing that as an actor myself um, I admire the most in other actors is watching them do what Michael K. Williams does in this scene and is is to me truly the mark of a great acting performance which is standing in one place and letting the totality of someone's person wash over a a particular inflection point in their life and being able to process that and demonstrate that and be comfortable in the stillness of it is I mean, it, it, we, we've we seen magic in the show. Part of the thing about the show is it's about magic. Yeah. That is magic to me. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, it's, it is absolutely staggering. And the, the, I mean, the subtext is text of <laughs> his son being the father figure he oh never God. had coming yeah. to save him as a child, as the Jackie Robinson, as the Superman, as the, you know, as, as that era's superhero. I got you, kid. Um, I got you, kid. Just absolutely wrecked me. Like yeah. that, that moment was like two of the three standout moments that, like, when I think of are are Montrose's moments because there's that one, and there's uh, the end of the episode where he goes to the bar. And mm. they have him on their shoulders at the end and like yeah, the, the confetti scene. from the ceiling or whatever, like that, that little sequence where he finally gets to be himself, even though you can still see his eye is swollen shut because right. of the beating that he took. And it's, it's that it, those two moments. And then um, the one that he's involved in where, uh, which is the con the wordless conversation between tick and Letty when uh george is dying and before they go to the car and yeah um i actually had to watch that part again because something was wrong with my internet because as soon as he got to the car it got all blurry Mm, Um, there's buffering was happening (laughs) it got got really buffery right there it was my internet that made it it i get it yeah 
Uh, and, and, but they have this whole converse, the two of them like have this entire conversation before he goes to the car and, you know, and has, has that, that moment to, to try and say goodbye. And like, when I think about the, the stuff about the show, like you said, Jason, again, like you said, Jason, um, you know, blood everywhere and crazy supernatural (laughs) stuff. But like the stuff that, that, that sticks in my mind is those, unbelievably human moments those unbelievably emotional yeah. moments that we have and that's the part that i think uh like is why i kept coming back so the 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 last montrose moment uh if we can put a cap on montrose i the last moment in the final episode where he goes to tick and he's telling his son all right you did it good job come on let's go yeah and he's uh, talking to his son as if just by the power of his will and his words, his son will pop back up. He knows he's dead. He yeah. knows he's gone. Yes. But he believes that if he says it with enough conviction, right, in the in the nonchalant way that a dad talks to his son, that his son will do what his father asks. Um, and, and, you know, and everybody knows, like, again, it's one of those things where everybody knows it around him. Everyone knows what he's doing. Um, and, and it's like, it's not overacting. If if there's one thing that I'll say about Jonathan Majors, he acts a lot with his face. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on in his face. (laughs) And sometimes it can be like, sometimes it can, it can border on comical. (laughs) We Um, talked about this on the, on the, uh, on the episode for the five bloods. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Man, Uh, calm down. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, But, but yeah, like Michael K. Williams was able to do all of that without any of that stuff. Like he was able to convey all of that emotion and all of that, that, that information, um, without mm. all of that stuff, with without really over-inflecting, without overacting, with, you know, with just really being in the moment and and showing uh, showing us what a what a brilliant craft he's got, you know, what a what a wa- uh, fine-tuned uh, you know instrument he uses. I, I think Michael K. Williams doesn't get enough credit because Omar is such a in the wire is such an outlandish, larger-than-life character that I feel like he didn't get quite enough credit for that. And then I see him in this and I say, oh no, Michael K. Williams is one of our finest character actors. And like he's, he, and he's got charisma like for days, like he, he's amazing. Mm -hmm. He, he, you know, one time I'll be like, okay, that was a great character and he did a good job with it. But you, you see him in anything else and you're like, oh no, Michael K. Williams is amazing. Am I the only one that watched Boardwalk Empire then? Chalky White. Oh, yeah, chalky yeah. White. Chalky White. Yes. If there was no Chalky White, it was that not. Show, it, I could have skipped over. that episode. The show wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, like, I just didn't care because I want, because like he was far and away the most interesting part of that show. You know, uh, Michael K. Williams is, 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 is an actor who has lived a life. He has lived a life. And to draw a parallel to another actor of color, Danny Trejo, Everybody knows Danny Trejo as Machete, like they know Michael K. Williams as Omar, and they try to classify him as, oh, he is this one thing. But mm-hmm. I have seen things from both of these actors that is like the, the the depth of what these people have gone through, people who went to the Tisch School of the Arts um, at NYU, uh, uh, who you know grew up going to like a boarding school or something like that, uh, never in their lives will they be able to approach what these guys are capable oh, of on their most off day. I want to, um, I also want to praise Journey Smollett oh, as yeah. Letty. Oh. 
she's please. amazing. She's amazing. I've loved her for a long time because Full House. Because you're a huge Full House fan. Well, well, no, <laughs> no I, I, I've never seen that. But uh, <laughs> Friday Night Lights, which is one of my favorite yeah. shows of all time. Season five, by the way, I'm just going to throw it out there for people who are skeptical of a high school football TV show. Season five with Journey Smollett and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, you heard me. Oh. Yeah. Um, I loved her in that. And uh and she she has to carry the show, I think. Um I would argue even more than Jonathan Majors, I think she has to carry the show, but at least as much as he does. And um she's great. Uh she does a really great job as as Letty. You feel for her, you feel her horror, you feel her her uh anger and her frustration and then her love and there's the whole like relationship with tick which is super awkward and then kind of gets resolved but it's not easy to get there but not really and she's got her fan <laughs> the, the burden of her family and her her estranged sister and she buys this house that is a bizarre magic house with <laughs> surrounded by white cops who don't want her to be there and like she has to carry a lot of the weight of this show too and is also great like there are a lot of really good performances in this show and i just I, you know i want to single her out because i think she does a really good job in having to do a lot of the work of carrying the show and does it really well well as much as the way that i think the show sets up jonathan majors to be playing the central character of the show and yes a lot of stuff revolves around him letty by the third episode for me and the third episode is one of the best episodes of tv i've watched in ages all on its own and like if i it, it's the thing that i'm like if i if i tell somebody you know what if you want to start from the beginning and try it from the beginning sure but if you want like a standalone episode of this show to sell you on you need yep. to watch this show the one with the magic watch, house yep you can watch yeah. the one with the magic house knowing <laughs> absolutely nothing and you'll be like i feel a little lost Did i miss something no 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 we're all just as lost <laughs> hang on yeah all you know if you watch the f- the two before that are the people's names. That's yeah, all you yeah, go in knowing. It. Right. That's it. That's it. Like she she really fully takes the reins as the central character of the show. Um and and yes, a lot of it is sharing it with 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 Tick. Um but she it, it's it's not outshining Jonathan Majors in any respect. But I think for me that was that was the surprise that I enjoyed the most was I was like, okay, cool. I can I can hang with this guy being the central character of the thing, but Letty seems really interesting. Oh, okay, all right, weird. Okay, yes, all right. She's <laughs> she is absolutely the heart of the show. Um, he is important, but the, you know, like like Hamilton. Sorry for spoilers for Hamilton. Um, <laughs> for Hamilton. <laughs> turns out the show's all about her. Yeah. Uh, turns out the show is all. Oh, about you ruined her. Hamilton now. Come on, yeah, man. Well, she uh, yeah. Like well, the it. the moment when she, when she picks up the bat. And goes yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah. Anytime just, a black person picks up a bat in this show, I get very happy. Oh, I get very happy. Well, like just it's it's sort of like I think I think it's before that when she uh we'll say forcefully introduces herself, uh, I believe to um uh Uncle George when she says her name is uh Letitia mm-hmm, Lewis. Um uh, I like th- there's sort of a moment where you you can see that like the last of her F's has burned to the ground <laughs> and she is spectacular. Like just after that, like, it, you know, sort of like Chalky White and Boardwalk Empire. Like I what what's Letty up to right now? Because that's what I need to know. 
in that first episode, when she goes, we got to get the out of here. I lost it. I just lost it. Uh, like, yeah, she, she, not just cause they were written that way, but she can do with, with like seven words, <laughs> what few other actors can do. Well, that um, moment, that moment is literally like audience surrogate almost, which is like, uh, do you realize what show we're in now? Do you realize what this show is? Let's get out of here now. Right? Like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. And then like, is it in Tulsa when she walks in Tulsa, when she walks out with the book of names and Things oh are God. literally burning down well, okay. behind her. So, I, that whole that whole episode really is the capstone of this season, and I know it, I, it yes. goes on afterward. But like we talked about the emotional moment um, with Montrose, uh, she has to stand with her basically uh, family and her and and Tick's family uh, and watch them burn to death after explaining mm. that she needs the book of names and needs to take it back into the into the future, and it's horrible. Also kind of amazingly humane, right? She's like, I'm invulnerable. I'm going to stay with you as you burn to death because you're going to die and it's very sad and I'm going to be here even though it won't hurt. It's like, what a, it's it's actually a kindness. She does a wonderful kindness for somebody who is doomed because her yeah. house is about to burn down. And then to flip that and have her at the end when they're desperately trying to get through the portal back to the present day, to watch her just walking down the street as... People are throwing bombs at her and yeah. she's just like, I don't care what you're doing because I'm fucking invulnerable, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing, but also so tragic and it's all happening simultaneously. It's really amazing. It's, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah. And then, well, and then you've got the, the soundtrack playing where, uh, so Sun Ra's poem from oh, earlier yeah. in, in, in that, in that episode that was, was spoken word and read. Uh, is now being sung uh, by a uh, a Chicago-based black sopranist um, who I think she now is part of the L.A. orchestra, but uh, yeah, but you know, world-renowned um, sopranist who is from Chicago, you know, where these people live, um, and and like all of that stuff is just. Man, it's it really yeah. uh, like the fact that all of that stuff is purposeful really makes me happy. I mean, the it fact really that the the heart happy. of this show is Chicago, one of the many capitals of Black America, right? Um, and you know that they play with the North Side versus the South Side, and they 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 don't they don't hold your hand. They just go, you know what? If you haven't read, there is supplemental reading you could do. That's not what <laughs> right. the show is here for, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. I want to mention again uh, the episode where Ruby becomes a a white lady and gets promoted <laughs> at, at Marshall Fields, and then Miss we discover Ruby lives white for a day. It, it is it is like I get the elevator pitch for that episode, right? And yet, and it is that right. It is this whole like what's it like to be white, and and she sees everything that she didn't see when she was. Mm-hmm. A black woman now that she's a white woman. Um, but you add that there's so many other twists that happen. It's not like just very simple. It's like you've got the boss who is a uh, sexual predator. You've right. got the method of transfiguration, which is you can grow this sort of skin overlay. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it sheds 
in a hideously <laughs> bloody that's, that's way. A really, yeah, sheds is a really nice word for what happened. Uh, yeah. I will it, say that that it episode, falls off. It just yeah. falls off. Yeah. It goes away. Pretty right diplomatic. Like, it just goes away. You spring forth right after uh, we watched that episode. I had to go back and watch the classic um, SNL skit where Eddie Murphy. White like me, uh, and white like it's me. just it has sort of like a a, a certain uh, uh, synergy with that. Right. I think. Well, there's, I, yeah, there's that moment in the in the ice cream, right? Yeah, there's right. a moment yes. in the ice cream yeah, parlor, exactly. Where he goes, to he goes to pull his, pull out her money. Um, listen, guys, those those are those are my dreams. Like those are my fantasies. Um, I just you know I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, there's a yeah. They, I mean, those things really make me happy. At the point later in the season where she goes, I, you know, I, I dreamed about it. I don't want to be a white woman. Um, I, you know, look, I've never been a black woman, uh, but growing up multiracial, one of the things, I mean, everybody who knew me from kindergarten through the end of high school knew me as Moses because <laughs> my white mother, I love I, I love my mom. Uh, I love white people. Some of my closest friends are white people. I have at least five <laughs> friends, I should mention. Um, you know, my mom thought that it would be easier for me to yeah. assimilate in that way. Sure. And so every time the role got called in school, my name got made fun of, whether it was for my last name or my first name or both, or because a coach was substituting that day. And there was a lot that I did to try to assimilate as much as I could uh, and be as not other as I possibly could, which is one of the reasons that, I mean, I would say of the laundry list of reasons that I love this show, one of the biggest is that it um, it forcefully um, reconquers the, the world of this kind of stuff from Lovecraft himself, the mm-hmm. notorious yeah. racist who made um, there are plenty of reasons to be scared uh, and fascinated by a lot of the stuff in his stories that I still enjoy, despite the fact that he is one of the most prominent, most um, most articulate uh, violent racists um, of the of, of, of all literature. Um, and that that injection of fear of the other is something that I faced um, my entire life growing up and continue to in various contexts, uh, you know, to this day and depending on how I'm dressed or how I have or have not shaved my facial hair or cut my hair. Um, there are various things that can go into me getting treated totally differently, walking into a store, getting service at a store. Um, uh, one of the reasons that I did so well as a telephone support rep for many years was that I was really good at adopting a particular kind of voice that made me sound like a, a very eager white guy who was ready to help you <laughs> just at the drop of a hat. Um, if, if you have not seen, sorry to bother you, go see, sorry to bother you. <laughs> oh man. Uh, one of the, one of the best movies. The last oh my years. God. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, the, the, the being able to, to go incognito, um, you know, my mom grew up on a farm in Kansas. I'm from Texas and there's a little bit of twang that comes in. Sometimes people go, you don't sound like you're from Texas. Well, my dad's from Cuba. His dad's from China. My mom's from Kansas. I sound like a bunch of different stuff. So I find myself camouflaging myself different ways, you know, code switching on a regular basis. So like this freakiest of Fridays episode, (laughs) like, it it just it, it I was living the whole time like because it, it wasn't just one or two fun gags. It was it was no, we're going deep on this mm-hmm. in every way we possibly can. No, it's it's remarkable. Also, I wanna stack a couple of things on it, which is one, we find out that the woman that Ruby is being 
is a real person who's being who's like comatose but being held by Christina. I kept staring at her thinking like, God, that actress looks so familiar and forgotten. (laughs) She's from the first episode. (laughs) Yeah, it took me forever to figure out who that person was. Oh, yeah. Is that the the lady from Mad Max Fury Road? Oh, wait, she was in the first... Oh, wait, this is the same person. Yeah, yeah, and her body is being kind of kept around to be used, which is super super creepy. They all look alike. And then the other thing is like, like, okay, there's not enough thematically going on in this episode about Ruby becoming a white woman and getting promoted at Marshall Fields. But the logical next step, which is, of course, the white man who's doing all of this is actually Christina, the white woman, using right. the potion as well. And for the rest of the, the the season, we also get to have that whole issue, which is, all right, so you two can have sex as a white lady and a white man, but in fact, you're a black lady and a white lady, not the same white lady, different white lady. Um, And like, so you, you have like the magic, but you've also got fundamentally like they, it's two women and they, and, and they're across the racial divide as well. And it's like, how do you guys deal with this? And they deal with it sort of, and then at the end, um, it's <laughs> yeah. really bad at the end. Yep. You know, but like, yeah. uh, I mean, it's just it's, throw it's, that it's in a, there, like extra. It's a, it's a Dracula thing. It's a Dracula thing. <laughs> Dracula is a horrible, horrible monster. But there is something that Dracula can do for Mina Harker that that uh, that Jonathan Harker does yeah. not do. Yeah. Um, it just it it's like you didn't need you didn't need to add in like a whole like bonus of 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 gay themes. But let's throw it in there because like here. it's I, I, there. I, so let's and, and do it. Let's, let's, I, I, let's do it. Put it in and, there. And, and that I like, that's another one of these many things that I loved so much about it yeah. is that it is not about the, it is not about the flesh based container. It is about who the person is and what that person um, does, uh, does to complete a part of you or to reinforce a part of you or to see you. And, if there's anything I could say about Lovecraft Country, it is. If the question is, should we throw this in? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> it's yes. always yes. Yeah, it's, it's, always it's, yes. it's not a question. Yes. We're just gonna. <laughs> always right. yes. Like, yeah. What you got? <laughs> you got a kitchen sink back there, Cicero? Bring throw it on it. up. Throw it in. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're, we're touching on, on the sex scenes. And one of the things that I think all of Hollywood needs to have, you know, a memorandum on their desk Monday morning is, uh, by the way, if you want sex scenes to be done well, um, have a black woman in charge of of how they're being portrayed. I I, I started to laugh because you mentioned the sex scene. So like, there's one sex scene what where there's like blood just ripping out of somebody's and, skin. Uh, they, and I would argue, I would argue, I would argue that that scene is done very well for it the is, purpose of what it, that scene is trying to do. Well. It is brilliant, incredibly but it's like what is happening? It's a man. It's a lot. Guys, or Ando from Heroes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yata. Right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh and, and, and like the, the thing about it is the people in every sex scene throughout this season, they are not being objectified. They are not. No. They are not there to just be like eye candy. I mean, there is another category of of media that is that is for titillation and that kind of thing. And yes, they're titillating aspects to things, but it's because of the subjective connection between these characters. The sex scenes serve a purpose in building characters 
um, mm. out of these people that we are getting to know better and better and better. We are seeing their vulnerabilities. We are seeing the quiet moments. We are seeing, I mean, things that they, they resonate for us, uh, you know, in a non titillating way because they, they call to people's actual experiences in intimacy where you have that moment of doubt, you have that, that, that moment of vulnerability, like that first time with, with Letty and, um, and, and tech during that party where, Sometimes that is just a thing that happens between people during a house party is people sneak off yeah. and, <laughs> and they have something passionate and instantaneous and magical like that. And then they have to deal with all of the consequences, consequences yeah. of it, right? That's the brilliant yeah. thing. It's like yeah. just because they like they hook up and they're two very attractive people who have a connection and and they hook up and it's like well the next part should be really easy right no no it's really hard it's really no, it's difficult hard. to get beyond a lot that harder that than, it, right. it's it's difficult to go past that right and, and they have to navigate that and I, I love that how realistic that was it's like oh boy they have a real connection and it's like well they do but they need more than just the connection they like they need to figure out who they are and what's how their they, deal. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's really hard for them to do that. They have to figure that yeah. one out. And, and I love that about it, that their relationship is so like, it's, it, it's the immediate chemistry. And then there's like, but wait, there's more here, but we have to figure out how, how we get we there. That out. Yeah. yeah. I like you that know, about it. Like one of the things I just want to back up for a second. One of the things that I really liked about, uh, Ruby's arc through all of this was, um, like the moment when she sort of realizes that like even if I'm a white lady like it's still not great to be a woman right now like that was the thing that I noticed Um, and that was part of what was really interesting to me about it was was how it, it wasn't it was partly like uh, her getting to be who she wants to be. And, you know, Christina lays that out for her. Like, part of the point of this was that you got to do whatever it is that you want to do. And, you know, and and so part of that is like her coming into her own self and, and having a much better sense of herself, but also like realizing, you know, Christina is doing exactly the same thing because even though Christina is a white woman, she still can't do what she wants to do and she can't accomplish what she wants to accomplish because she's not a dude. And so like both of them are sort of using magic potions uh, for not the same... Of. Yeah. For the same, yeah, I guess not sort of like they are using matching pushes for the same set of reasons. Yeah. Like, because this grants me access to the thing I want to do. Right. Because what Ruby wants is a job at Marshall Fields. And what Christina wants is, you know, to take over the universe. So, you know, the scale yep. is a little different, but they're doing the I don't, same I don't thing. see the difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, that makes sense. It's like a little footnote, but like, it's not like, I mean, Christina is definitely fighting against um, the the discrimination being done to her because she's a woman. Right. She's fighting against the right. patriarchy. But I feel like that's the show's one of the, another one of the show's brilliant little moments, which is like, yeah, I mean, there's white feminism over there, but 
Right. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I mean but that, yeah, that's yeah, the she, thing is like, it yeah. sucks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, like, it's tough yeah. to be yeah, you. Like, get it, 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 it is. It, it is. It, yeah, it, I get it. it sucks. And you know what? Probably the worst way to deal with it is, is to systematically oppress um, an enormous proportion of people because you feel aggrieved. It, it is right. one of those, well, again, as a fan of Buffy, it is one of those moments where it's like, I see what you do in their show. I right, see what right. you do, and I right. see yeah. the parallels and, you're drawing there. It's it's yeah, brilliant, right? right? Because she it's not it's not untrue. Like Christina is unable, even though she's incredibly capable, she right. is unable to claim her birthright and do right. what she wants to do because she's a woman. Like she is absolutely a victim of the patriarchy. She's, she's also evil, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, her response is, "Well, I know what I can do is I can consume." all of the people who are even lower down on the social hierarchy than I am in order to get where I want to go. Yeah. That's well, her whole toilet, plan. Toilet, toilet biscuits roll downhill, man. So like, it's, <laughs> like, like the question I want to ask about Christina slash Warren is, and Ruby is how real was that relationship? Yeah. You know, like there were times or obviously there was a a you know a a dominant portion of that time where ruby was very much into warren um she was obviously into the power the magic and everything else but she was into warren she was uh, uh affectionate and she was growing feelings for him if she wasn't already mm-hmm. in love and then once she got beyond that and and discovered the truth she was still on board for that relationship like there was a partnership there was some kind of weird business partnership that they had going on um but there was also like affection at least on one side and it seemed coming from christina slash warren that it was being reciprocated. Yeah, it was. It seemed like it was being reciprocated. Yeah. I never doubted that they genuinely cared for each other. Well, I I had sincere doubts about Christina. Yeah. I felt yeah. I felt for sure that she was using her to you know her advantage basically, and perhaps had affectionate. But like, I think you know, Christina, you're dealing with somebody who is fundamentally. You know, if we're going from like a fundamentally racist point of view, I don't think she even really sees Ruby as a person a lot mm. of that time. She right. kind of treats her like a, a tool, a, a tool or a pet, really. And right. like that, right. that is, yeah, you know, she's again, a possession. She's a exactly. Possession. It's it's that back to the whole part of like she thinks her cause is so justified that she doesn't care who she steps on or doesn't really even think about stepping on anybody else to get to that to get to her goal. So I, I for that part, like, and especially I think basically exemplified by the um the, the ultimate fate of what actually right, she ends right. up doing to her I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, with, can't I'm her. with you it's a it's a joker and harley quinn thing it, like oh, christina geez. cares about her in the way that a total sociopath who does not form emotional attachments to people can appreciate someone, which is as a possession. I didn't say she was good at it. Oh yeah. But oh, yeah. by the <laughs> end I did believe that as best she could she did care for Brie. Yeah, we to have the to extent yeah. Also pull out there my favorite scene from the entire show, which is because it's later gets a different sort of undertone to it. It's the scene where they're all in the car in the last episode and the, they start singing to the song on the radio, Yes, <laughs> right. which to me, I think is just this. It's a great scene because, for, you know, it is sort of that like 
we're, we know we're going into this deadly situation right. and we're, we're trying to make the best of it. Uh, and everybody sort of, you know, is, is on the same page there. But like in hindsight, when we later know that one of those people <laughs> right. is not who they say they are, <laughs> it, it takes on people. a different, it takes on a different feeling. Um, yeah. because you know, she is being treated as part of this family in a way that she was never treated by her actual family. Right. Uh, yeah. but she shows very little if any remorse about the way she is then like dispatching with them <laughs> I, I would say about Christina like um, my feeling is that you can and, and Ruby too a little bit is you can have two simultaneously contradictory thoughts in your mm-hmm. head and sure. that there's a moment where Christina basically says to Ruby um, you know you're great and we're great and I want you to work with me but like yeah I'm I'm totally killing tick that's what yeah. I'm doing and like she for her it's just not uh, there's no it's conflict there. it, oh, and there's no, no conflict right? there's it's no like, conflict it's right. like yeah. it's, it's like are you, are, are you gonna kill Tick and she's like well yeah that's the spell yeah right. that's like, what we're doing right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I have to yeah. doesn't even think about it like to me one of the biggest tragedies that occurs is that uh, Wunmi Masaku is amazing as Ruby um, and the tragedy is that she's dead and she has been killed off screen and we are yeah. definitely not getting more Ruby. Well, it is. Um, there's magic. Oh, oh, well, there's magic. there's magic. And do we I mean, know that that is the truth? Right. Right. I mean, like, so I was going to say that this is, this yeah. is based on a book and it's been adapted, but it's not necessarily over as a series. Right. And that's one of the interesting things about this is, uh-huh. is that they, they have places they could go next time. And it's sort of wherever Misha Green wants to take it, assuming that it comes back for his second season. And I wanted to throw in, I think, cause there is this question like, okay, Ruby is apparently dead or is she magic time travel? What parallel universes, whatever I want to throw in tick. Cause one of the things that happens that's, that's uh, makes it feel, I think more like a novel is at the end, we've been told all along that tick is going to die and he dies. He dies and, and, and he saves the world and he foils the, the plans and everybody else helps and uh, the good guys win at the end, but he dies. Right. Right. And yet I'm reminded of, among other things, the parallel universes, the time travel, that also Tick goes to the future yes. and meets his- we never, we never see that. And, and meets and his son and brings no back a book. And when he comes back and he's like, like, yeah, I got this book and I met my son and all that. And we never see it. Never and see I think it. Yeah. that's an interesting choice. And, I, and then when he dies at the end of the season, I'm like, well- there's this whole other thing that Tick did that we never even saw, and who knows because of time travel and all that. But, yeah, yeah. I right. want to throw in there too, uh, uh, Courtney B. Vance, who we yes. barely have touched Amazing. upon. Who is yes. honestly, yes. Dis- I, I just crushed that they killed him so early because yes. I love I George so Uncle much. George. Uncle George is oh my so God. good. Uncle Daddy George. Like, uh, I, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> Uncle George? Uncle, Uncle George. Yeah. Yeah. Air Uncle quote that uncle there, George. kiddo. Yeah. Uh, it was a damn shame because I just, his character, uh, again, like Tick, we discussed Tick being a nerd and, and, and George definitely is the one who seems to have instilled so much of that in him. Right. Is like yeah. this love of knowledge and the love of learning things. And George is so enthusiastic about all this stuff that I, I think it was just such a great character. And I was, it, it really was emotional getting, getting him killed off so early in yeah. the show because you, you, he was so you were like, Oh, he's just on the edge of like realizing that all this stuff he's so excited <laughs> yeah. about is real. And 
Courtney yeah. B. Vance is, is one of these actors that, you know, anything I see him in, I want more of him in that yeah. thing. Yes. Um, He'll always be Jonesy from The Hunt for Red October to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I hope I hope he gets the call from Marvel if they right. if they bring the blue Marvel into the MCU or something like like give the man a superhero uh, role because he's he is beyond earned it. Well, he um, was already killed in Daredevil. So, yeah, there, well, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Non-canonical. I mean, sp- speaking right. of speaking of non-canonical and multiple timelines and all that kind of stuff i think the the you know uh, you know uh, fan thinking about stuff and what they can do in season two part of what they couldn't do in tulsa is change stuff that would change the future except for the thing that tick had to step in and do because it was part of what happened um right his trip to the future is something that may come back and may be the reason that we get jonathan majors in season two where there is a reason why they can't unkill ruby or can't unkill atticus um that that is part of of where they take this from here we've got the book of names in this season uh we hear the word necronomicon mentioned but we sure don't see it um there's a lot of other lovecraft stuff to play with that they right. you know lots of real weird toys in the cthulhu box that they have not pulled out <laughs> don't um, open the like, cthulhu box tackles all the way down never open the cthulhu box like we didn't even get a chance to talk about gia yeah right right oh, yeah. Amazing. Like, right i mean we haven't so even good. made it to her yet and she's yeah. this whole other like dimension of interesting and weird and she's like a mythological magical monster who is summoned in korea and has a whole episode yeah and a whole episode about her where tick is sort of in it briefly and then she comes back later but like really interesting character and and you know, it's almost like an Avengers kind of moment where we're like, we need the supernatural monster lady to come help us save the universe. And she's like, all right, I'll do it. It's okay. Like, okay. You know, for, for those for those who've been wanting a more adult, gritty take on Pokemon, uh, her, version of, her version of a Ninetales, uh, sure, sure, sure. Also, the way she surprise. collects them all, let me tell yes. you. Yeah, right, she, right. she catches them all. She does got to catch them all. She's, she's almost, almost all. To all. Almost, almost all. Almost, almost to 100. Um, so, yeah. So, like, that episode was almost like a whole season, right? I, yeah. yeah. That was, I think that's my favorite Absolutely. episode. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought it was so, fantastic. It was so just, dense. And, and, yeah. So, not only was it dense, and I feel like, Dan, it, it was probably, I, I had lots of favorites. Um, but, uh, it, you know, because I'm talking about it right now, it was my favorite season, uh, favorite episode <laughs> of the season. Um, because it did so much in that episode. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it made tick. Who's who is just a bumbling nerd who, yes, he's very capable. He's a very capable fighter. He was in the war. He was doing all the stuff and he's, and he is smart, but he's, he's kind of getting duped along and, and dragged with the people, even as he's trying to do the stuff. Right. Um, but like it turned that derpy character, uh, that you loved into the villain. Yeah. In that episode. And then by the end of it, you were still rooting for him. Like, you know, like he was despicable and it wasn't even like, oh man, you know, like he was, he became an anti-hero. He was a straight up villain. Um, and, and it was, it was brilliant to be able to see that and like rebuild his humanity throughout the course of that episode while also displaying and 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 really kind of articulating Gia's humanity yeah even though yeah. she was a monster and was doing these 
horrific things. But, but her her love of going to the movies and right, everything and like right. her relationships oh, with everyone. Yeah, being, she yeah. was being, so humanized. Being jealous of her yeah. friend Youngja. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's live action hentai. Um, it was. It was, it was <laughs> I mean, just, probably the most unexpected use of Mimi in St. Louis and Easter Parade. Um, yes. Yeah. That I ever expected. Yeah. Also, also, uh, if we don't mention um, that, I never expected to be to watch a a movie set in pre pre war Korea. Where we sit in a bar and a Korean guy sings Besame Mucho. Um, oh my like, God. Right? Oh. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, like, man, Mwah, you guys. Mwah. <laughs> um, one last thing I wanted to um, mention before we, we wrap this up is that I do, we, we, there's so much to praise here. It's such a brilliant um, piece of work. Uh, worth everybody's time to watch it. I will say, I thought the last episode was kind of disappointing because I feel like one of the the tricks that they have in the plotting of this is to withhold information from the audience because they want to have, you know, some shocking reveals. And that last episode, uh, at several points, uh, my wife and I are sitting there watching it going, what are they trying to do? And the answer is... (laughs) I have no idea. I guess we'll yeah, just watch I, it and see what happens. They're, they're, and I, I feel trying like, to, they're trying I, to kill the big bad that that showed up. Yeah, at the beginning with a plan, of season, but we don't know the plan. And and it's like suffice it to say, magic is evolved. And I, I guess my criticism would be, I feel like they played it a little too coy in the final episode, where I kind of wanted to be invested on the side of our characters and what they were going to do. And instead I ended up being almost like a neutral observer where I was like, yeah. apparently they're trying something. And I, it was, it was a feeling like they, they made a mistake of withholding a little too much from me. And and that would be my criticism of the whole season is that last little bit. I felt uh, kind of cut off from what they were trying to do. I think Jason, my critique runs along the same lines, which is, I think they are a little, inexpert when it comes to dealing with surprise. They're very good at building suspense, which is when the audience knows what's coming and you're kind of tense because you're like, oh, this thing's going to happen. But, but I how's think it they're gonna bad, go down or whatever. But I think they're yeah. bad at de- dealing with surprise when it's like, we've got this thing that's going to shock you because you didn't know about it. So I would throw out there both the example of <laughs> when, when they revealed that Christina and William are the same pe- person, my wife and I are like, I think I thought everybody kind of assumed that because they, <laughs> they kind of look the same. I mean, like one of them literally walks into a house and the other one walks out. I'm like, come on, they're right. They're the yeah. same person. And then I also wanted to uh, argue about the point, which I liked in the point that you brought up, which is that very emotional scene with Montrose and in Tulsa and, and with Tick being the guy who saved them. Again, I felt like he talks about like, oh yeah, there's this mysterious stranger. Oh, yeah. like, well, I mean, of course. right there. Like, yeah, there's no, they're not as good at building the like surprise about it. It's still got a great resolution to yes. it, but there's, there's like it's, no shock value no. to it. No, my, my disagreement, my disagreement is that um, as much as this show is about like, there are all of these, um, all of these, uh, these um, uh, situations that we're familiar with. And like, it's final, like black people are getting to do all of this stuff. Um, and, and we're, we have a lot of tropey kind of things in, in the good sense of tropes, like good action tropes and heist tropes and haunted house tropes and that kind of thing. Um, where they diverge from that is I don't think they cared about the surprise. Like our, the, the assumption is that we, we, uh, we are, we are expecting that they were trying to surprise us. I don't think they were trying to surprise us at all. And for me, the revelations are much more about, 
the kind of character moment stuff that we get and and the the one thing that they that does not play with the rules or the established tropes that we're used to uh from a lot of of stuff that they play with is that stuff that are that that um would be held as a surprise to the audience they don't they they full-on telegraph like they're not trying to fool us they assume we are smarter than that and the characters uh like in in the case of you know ruby and and christina and that kind of thing um they assume that we're smart enough and that and that we probably think that um and for me like the last episode the the ninth episode was the was the climax of yeah. everything and yeah. mm-hmm. the next episode i mean it's titled full circle it is it, like we are going to vanquish the evil it's a matter of how we're going to do it and i wasn't let down by not getting the setup of what the plan was because i didn't care um you know i i was assuming that they were going to get subverted somehow and i kind of had a feeling after that interaction that we had between ruby and christina that ruby went bye bye I just I just felt adrift like um they're in the car yeah. and it's a, it's charming yeah. in the moments and I'm and yet I'm also sitting there thinking now what what are we doing again and not right. really mm-hmm. knowing what that right. is and I felt like that was where the the show was withholding a little too much so instead of feeling like I was with them I was more at a remove and and didn't really know what they were up to I wasn't invested in in where where they were off to to right. get to, which is part of the suspense is that you know what's coming, like you have some idea of what's going to happen. So now that I know what's going to happen, I know we're near the end. So how is this going to take a hard left? Exactly. Like, but you, you need that information yeah. going you need in the to figure out where it veers in right. order to be upset when it gets when it deviates from the expectation. Oh, no. I just think that they. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a minor point, but I I feel like that's the place where the the show fell down amid all the brilliant things it did. Is that there are a few places where I felt like as an audience member who's watched the whole thing, there are moments where I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't actually understand what they're trying to do here. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think part of that has to do with the fact that they they traveled via twenty four the ep, the the series, and, and, uh, you know where 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 like you know we've we we like when things slow down they really slow down and and we're you know we are able to take the time for exposition but then when they're on these road trips we have no idea where they're going or, or how far yeah. they're because it's just a scene of them singing. And yeah. then they're someplace, someplace hundreds else. of miles, yes, yeah. Yeah. hundreds of miles away. Uh, but you know, before we actually started talking about uh, the the show proper in in uh, in this episode, we were talking about how they went to Boston and and went into the magic portal and wound up, wound up back in Chicago. I wish I could take that flight. My yeah. son lives in Boston. <laughs> Like I live in Chicago. Where's this house? You can get back really fast, but you 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 may you may drown in a magic uh, magic uh, tomb. That's right. hey, like listen. this is your risk that you have That's to That's right. Take. I can hold my breath. <laughs> the the 10th episode to me really is it, like it feels like more of an epilogue and the thing that did surprise me and that I enjoyed the most probably was D's cyborg arm and yes, the fact yes. that she, oh my god yeah. she that went was, for the full that was a good reveal she, she went for the full double tap on the bad guy right, um, right. instead of go no we can't have a child kill a, a white lady nope we're gonna kill the white lady an explosion of blood and gore right. because oh, she's, she's evil country. again last, last again she's very to evil. be clear she's right. evil she's very yeah. evil um but but also i think a, a point we may have missed was she was the one who gave at the gave tick the book when tick went to the future he got the book from the woman with the robot arm that's what him uh, and Montrose. Yeah. 
him and Montrose were talking about. Like, again, because we didn't see it. Right. And, and like, all we know about that is that one little line. Um, I actually went back and watched the seventh episode again, the crazy, uh, you know, Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy episode yeah, again. I am. Yeah. Right. And, and because I thought maybe I fell asleep or like I was, you know, the mushrooms really kicked in. Um, and, and I missed it, but like, so, you know, so that, so it was easy to miss, but yeah, she was the one who gave her gave Tick the book. Wow! And so when she saw Christina under the under the 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 rocks and the rubble, and she was like, "Oh, come help me!" and and she revealed the arm. She said something like, "Who'd you think it was?" or or some something to that effect. Like, you know, she was fully aware of. Well, in fact, I guess that was future future D. Um, who came? Who who was there to finish the job? Huh. And then she's gonna go back away because you know she, what she do? She she was just in the car with with her hand bandaged up, with her arm bandaged up, getting scared by the white uh, goofy dog, and then the cool black goofy dog came in and destroyed the, <laughs> destroyed her, and then they went over to the castle, and she had a robot arm, she like a robot she had, arm. The, yeah, she had the yeah. cool cyborg arm. So she must have been from the future. She must have been the one. Who gave her the book and gave you know gave Tick the book with with the uh, with the TV font on it, so um, you know it it all comes full circle. Ooh. All you need is a magic portal and love and right. a dog and, <laughs> and a cool dog. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Any last last things? Um, I, I loved I loved the the um, the comic book uh, that. Uh, that Hippolyta came back with uh, that was that was the fully illustrated adventures of uh, was oh. it Alethea Blue, wh- mm-hmm. which now Hippolyta is <laughs> is right. the comic book character that yeah. D created. Yeah. Um, she said that yeah, a woman named named Afua, um drew this. That was a, a reference to Afua Richardson, the uh, superstar comic book artist who drew all of that stuff. Right. Um, and I just thought that was really cool. Um, shouting out uh, a really great uh, comic book talent. Um, I, I think, I think there is a lot of richness to this show that extends to like the additional reading that one can do. Um, I mentioned the Lovecraft country radio podcast, and I would urge people to listen to it if they like the show, um, because there's even more texture about the show and, uh, it's, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. And they also have, um, uh, they have reading recommendations and viewing recommendations and that sort of thing in every single episode. Uh, and they talk to loads of people, including Misha Green and Journey Smollett and um, Daniel Jose Older, the guy who called out Lovecraft um, and how the Lovecraft Award should be renamed when he won the Lovecraft Award right. a few years back. Um, but like there, whether, whether regardless of your racial identity, um, there is so much richness that is referenced that is drawn from that is that is touched on in this um that you know i i know a lot of black people that them finding out about 1921 tulsa was from watching watchmen um 
there's a lot of stuff of even even people's own experiences that they're not familiar with, and that goes for both side both sides of the of the black and white divide. Uh, and some of the recommendations they they have in that podcast are things that I haven't read. Loads of it are things that I'm like, oh yeah, I should read that. Um, but that's uh, that's something that especially in this time, uh, this show is for me one of the most magnificent pushbacks on the notion of going back to a time when America was great. Um, the, the greatness they refer to is the time when it was fine for sundown towns to exist. And to be clear, sundown towns still exist right. just because there are less of them doesn't mean that they're gone. Um, towns and counties, uh, you know, you drive through Arkansas down, a, down one of the major highways, you, you will see the billboards about a particular area that that are very specific in their coded language about uh, nice, clean faces and good neighbors. Um, there, just because we are past a lot of the stuff that is depicted in the present day of this show, doesn't mean that we are past it. Um, and I'm I am so glad that this show is able to get across all of the stuff that it gets across um, without feeling like, uh, like, like you're doing homework. Uh, and the, the one other thing I'll say is, uh, if you're in the U S Hulu has both seasons of Misha Green's underground, which if the idea of an underground railroad show feels like, Oh man, that, that might be a lot. It's like, you know, watching Schindler's list or something. Um, give it a chance because it is a heist thriller show where the precious, uh, the precious treasure is actual human beings, um, where like a heist thriller, you have the choosing the team and the picking the tactics and all of that kind of stuff. Um, also stars journey Smollett. um, really great show. Uh, that's, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that, uh, I, I mean, I really love this show. I, I'm one of, one of my regrets or not my regret or one, you know, one of the things that I'm dismayed about is, is the fact that, not enough people are talking about it. Like there was yeah. buzz um, yeah. around the show when it was airing, uh, but I don't think the buzz was commensurate with the quality of the show and no. how avant-garde it was like, and, and like, and you know, maybe that word gets tossed around. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't think it is inappropriate um, for this, for this particular series because of, because of the ways that it, really attacked pulp fiction right like it you know again it it if you weren't uh you know if you if you weren't already predisposed to like its characters or like its actors or like uh the theme of lovecraft um but but maybe you've danced around those things before what it does allow you to do is fall in love with themes of things that you may have loved before. If you love, you know, supernatural, the, the second episode is for you. Um, <laughs> if you know, if you love, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and those pulpy movies, the fourth episode is for you. If you love American, you know, American Horror Story, third episode, you know, like <laughs> uh, uh, through the list, all yep. of this, all of this stuff is there. Um, and, and I love the fact that it brings all of those things together and it, and it allows you to inhabit a world and, and some people that you may not have really thought about in the way that this show makes you think about them. As weird as this sounds, but I'm going somewhere. Uh, <laughs> this, this show is very 2020. I don't mm -hmm. think the effects could have happened 
as well if it had been done sooner. Right. Uh, I don't think the uh, the way they leaned into this was the Jim Crow South is a thing that could have been portrayed as well as it was portrayed here. Uh, I don't think um, having a cast full of loads and loads of people who are not white people uh, on television and feeling like that, uh, you know, like that shouldn't be a bold move. But and so like having that is also a thing I don't think could have happened before now. And the story that they told and the way there were the parallels between the human parts of the story and the superhuman supernatural parts of the story. uh, I don't think that could have happened uh, before now. And, you know, and I don't know that if I had places to go and people to see if I would have stayed home and watched this show, Um, you know, because I don't, because it doesn't sound on paper, it doesn't sound like something I would enjoy. And I liked it a whole lot. And part of why I got into it was because uh, people on, on The Incomparable were talking about it and, <laughs> and how interesting it was. So I came in, I think, um, uh, just before the third episode aired, I watched the first two. And I think part of the appeal for me with this was also that it came out weekly, so I couldn't binge it. And uh, sitting with whatever happened in the latest episode for a week before the next one was available, I think uh, helped the story a lot. And it helped me uh, because I could go back and watch again or something and it didn't feel like something, you know, bingeable uh, like it is now because like all the episodes are out. But um, watching it and getting getting these these units of story dished out um, you know, a piece at a time, I think was also part of what was good about it. And, you know, like you said, Cicero, like if you like haunted houses, if you like American Horror Story, if you like Raiders of the Lost Ark, like that was part of what reeled me in. But then the characters and the performances and how interesting everybody was is why I kept coming back. Like this isn't the haunted house episode, but I still want to know what happens to everybody. And that was part of, for me, that was part of what reeled me in was, uh, you know, every, every week it was, it was, it was like an anthology getting something new and, um, and, but caring about all of those characters. So even if next week is a completely different situation, I still want to know how it turns out. Cause I want everyone to, I, w- I want all the good guys to be okay. And I want to make sure the bad guys get theirs. And, and then just to pick up where Cicero and Kelly were talking about sort of the, uh, you know, varied nature of the show uh, and sort of the genre hopping and all the different uh, stuff that it was pulling in. I also wanted to say, I think what's great about the show is that it, because I went into it being something like, oh, maybe this is my thing, maybe it's not my thing, I'm not sure. And I enjoyed it so much. I think that it also does a great job of opening you up to the possibilities of lots of other things that maybe you wouldn't have tried before. Yeah. Uh, and so it, for me, particularly, like making me more willing to tr- give a chance to something in the future where it might be like, oh, maybe that's not my thing, but I don't know. Like, I'll check it out. And I think that's, you know, a, a great legacy. If if nothing else comes of that show, that's a great legacy is to try and uh, broaden the types of things that people are, are you know, interested in watching and, and really push the envelope. Like, you know, we're talking about like there's just so much in here. Uh, that it seems kind of bananas at times that they could turn it into a TV show, and yet it worked and it was good. And I think that that's always it's always great when a show tries to do something that hasn't really been done before. And I I think it's pretty hard to come up with a good analog for this show. I, I think you know we've mentioned Watchmen a few times, and I think that gets close uh, in a in a sort of uh, tonal uh, you know feeling. But there's there's they're very different shows despite that. 
Um, I love the design of this show too. I, I think it's it's beautifully shot and the production design is wonderful. Um, yeah. I the, the the thing that hooked me when watching the trailer and it's just like I, oftentimes I watch a trailer for something and there's like an image or a shot or something like that. Yeah. And and for me in the trailer it's the shot from the first episode of um, the the travel guide with the Reaper. Right over the sundown town and <laughs> oh, that, that, yeah. that, but that just it's it's just such a it's evocative it's it's just so capturing and i was like oh interesting like i want to <laughs> i want to see this i want to see more about this this show and like that turns out to be a fairly minor point of the right. show but it's it still ha- it still captures a an atmosphere uh, of menace and an atmosphere uh, of of menace that's linked to something tangible that is in our world right it's a map of a real location with yeah. this sort of uh creepy you know like danger uh, attached to it um and i think Overall, I, I I really, as as several people have said, I, I I love the idea of never knowing what you're coming back for next week. I right. think it's remarkably yeah. successful in that, and just angered by some fantastic performances. So it, it's I would love to see where we go from here. It's a variety platter where everything on it is good, even if you think you don't like that flavor yeah. of whatever. I was going to say, yep. strangely, I'm going to give you a comp for this show, mm-hmm. and I think that in the in the span of 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 material and what the audience is it's obviously a terrible comparison <laughs> but but bear with me because i there is, is it a very, or are you going to say it's hee haw uh yeah yeah it's 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 a uh, marlon perkins wild kingdom uh no uh doctor who and the reason i say doctor who is because yeah, there's a lot more blood <laughs> in this than doctor who but but follow me here doctor who is an anthology show that is that explores different genres from week to week. Hmm. But the brilliance of Doctor Who and what makes it different from a lot of anthology shows like The Twilight Zone is the characters remain the same. They travel in a magic box that takes them from genre to genre, from time frame and setting to setting, and they move along. And so you get a story arc or at least a character arc with the characters in Doctor Who. But from week to week, it can be comedy, it can be the future, it can be the past. And I think that's one of the brilliant things that has made Doctor Who the phenomenon that it is, is it is a genre machine. It is not just a time machine. Mm. It will go from place to place. And honestly, I think Lovecraft Country is kind of like that, where the characters are maintained and there is a little bit of a setting that's maintained. But from week to week, it's whatever it wants to be. And you just go along for the ride. And honestly, if they do another season of it and they continue with just these wild changes in genre from episode to episode. I'm on board for that because I, I think that there are not enough shows that are bold enough to sort of say, we can do whatever we want and tell any kind of story we yeah, want. We don't have to be the same yeah. thing every week. If, like, exactly. If you, yeah. like, if you like genre media, you will almost certainly like yeah. this show. Yeah, it's got and, all of them. I mean, let me, let me, say, it. Let me, let me say it flat out. Uh, I'm sure that there are people who look at it and go, uh, I don't know if I'm going to like a black show. Um, because you know, I don't, I didn't watch girlfriends and I didn't watch living single. Uh, yeah, this is a black show. This is 100% a black show. Yeah. Sorry. If you don't like black people, you're not going to like this show. If you like genre media, you're going to like, you're going to like it. You really you're are. like the show. You really are. Hey, Jason, that, that magic box, it's your television. Ooh. Oh. Wait, wait. I thought it was the station wagon. I thought it was the friends we made along the way. People should check out Lovecraft Country. That's what we're saying. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, we've talked all about it. You really should have seen it by now, but now you should go see it if you haven't already. And um, I would like to thank 
my panelists because, uh, as was foretold, they did a great job in talking about this show. Cicero Holmes, thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah, so I won't get canceled just like Lovecraft Country. I'll see you for season two. Excellent, excellent. Dan Morin, thank you. Like this show, I am full of blood. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Just keep it inside. Keep it on we the inside. Every Working drop on of it, Dan. Working on every it every day. Inside. Every day a little bit more. Uh-huh. Kelly, come on. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jason. I wish I could introduce myself with my proper middle name, but you'd have to edit. Moises uh, <laughs> Chuyan, thank you. I'm glad we wrapped up right on time. I've got a Santeria lady on the porch with a goat that she needs to sacrifice to ward off <laughs> oh. evil spirits, so I gotta go. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. I've traveled to the future, and I know that you liked this episode, but thanks for listening. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week with some very special seasonal content, but until then, bye-bye. Bye.